1: We were told in 2010 that that organisation was worth hundred million. Ten years later, the US come in to sanction them; they're worth a billion, and that's after they're supposedly being dismantled. Of course, there'll always be somebody to replace them. Of course, the war on drugs is untenable. Yeah. But I suppose we talk about all the time is how the corruption that sort of emanates out of it is is, is constantly filtering and threatening society and communities. I'm Nicola Tallent, and you're listening to Crime World. A podcast about criminals, drugs and the sins of the underworld, in Ireland and across the globe.
0: Today we are swapping sides and I'm doing the interviewing with Nicola in the hot seat answering questions about her new book, Cocaine Cowboys. The book follows the growth of cocaine supply and demand in Ireland and is the definitive tale of the white gold rush and the cowboys who created a wild west frontier both here and abroad while becoming multimillionaires in the process. I'm Niall Donald, and this is Crime World, a podcast from sundayworld.com.
1: Should I swap places with you?
0: Well, are we we recording? Yeah. Okay, let's swap places. Let's swap
1: places. I better bring my thing with me. Okay. (laughs) Take your notebook.
0: Right. This is more like it. So do I get to make more smart comments now than...
1: Yeah, and you know, I have to sort of do I have to take them? No, you don't. Well, I'll explain since I'm okay.
0: a very professional presenter. We're after It's nicer side actually. I like this. I'm going to explain for our listeners who okay. are still the majority <laughs> of the people. We have swapped sides and Nicola has now gone into the interviewee uh, side of the desk because I'm nervous now. Yeah, as you should be. <laughs> because she is being interviewed. We have a guest today on interviewing trying to flog her new book, basically.
1: Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh god! Oh stop! <laughs> yeah, so, new book, and we're also hitting the road with this cocaine cowboys. We have a new show which we're going to be yeah bringing in the new in the new year. Great. Right. But anyway, sorry. Yeah. So oh, my new show will be coming up, <laughs> and I might let Nicola your new show, and I'll be like your special guest. Yeah. Well, yeah. not that special. But. <laughs> No, this is enough. That's actually abuse now at this <laughs> yeah.
0: stage. Well, you have to take it as a guest on my show. Okay. But, uh, so the new book, Nicola, when it is, it's actually out, is it? this? this
1: yeah. Week? It's out since Thursday. Yeah. And, um, you know, it's a culmination, I suppose. Books don't come that naturally to me, I yeah. have to say. I'm sure you're probably the same. Yeah. You're sort of always going from one thing to the next and whatever. And um, the... Cocaine Cowboys—it's what it's called, but it's actually like a culmination, really, of my work, I suppose, over the past twenty-five years, yeah. more. You know, yeah, like literally, it, it cocaine has been there in the ether since I started in crime journalism, and I kind of started with the sort of the first arrivals and all that, and and then take a kind of a wider look at the at at what it, what it's all about. Yeah, because I mean, obviously,
0: the people who are writing about. Crime probably a decade before the heroin epidemic in Dublin was really the big story, wasn't it? That's like it. your kind of predecessors, it was yeah, that was it, and then the beginning maybe of of the ecstasy. But like as we were coming coming to prominence, let's put it yeah. that way, like cocaine really did the the explosion of cocaine really did change Gangland in it just absolutely incredibly.
1: We, and very quickly, really.
0: Very quickly. You know, I mean, it went from, so your book starts off really with the the first kind of guys. Yeah. Who were, they were kind of, um, would we playboy gangsters? Would that be fair to say? Yeah. And the kind of, if you look at it, like, although they were obviously professional and, you know, making a lot of money and all of that, they have a different feel, don't they? They were much less corporate. Let's put it that way.
1: I mean, they're they're sort of like they're fraudsters, they're VAT scammers, they're guys who are going to turn their hand to anything they yeah. think they're going to make money on. Yeah. Um. And I suppose it starts really in the late eighties, early nineties. Yeah. And what you have is Ireland is sort of you know shaking off. Yeah. It's it's sort of cloak of poverty. Yeah. Um. You're coming up to a period of time of wealth when the country's developing. You're having uh, employment is obviously going to become almost you know I think there was almost full employment at, at one point. point. And yeah. um, you have the property boom. You have this feeling that Ireland is rich and it's party town,
0: yeah, isn't it? It is, and of course the the, the, the rave culture has changed. Yes, youth culture in Ireland like it didn't change it straight away, but it really, you know, it started in Dublin really in the late 80s, very late 80s. But by, by the middle of the 90s, you know, anybody who went into to colleges or, you know, lived in big towns in rural Ireland, they would have come across drugs, let's put it that yeah, way. Yeah,
1: and they were sort of drugs. I suppose the heroin Like, I mean, you'd never have produced heroin in a pub and shot it into your arm. There was this shame associated with heroin. There was, you know, it was a drug that certainly even the users of it were ashamed of themselves for using it. You know, it had all these stigmas attached to it. So I think ecstasy came along and all of a sudden that was a party drug and it was a recreational thing and it was something you did for fun and you did it quite openly in front of everybody else who was doing it at these raves. And that opened the doors for drug taking for a whole generation who probably would never have gone down the road of taking heroin. No, so you have all these different things happening. You've also got, um, you know, Colombia is producing more and more of the drug. Miami is the centre of it initially where it's it's coming out of. You have Escobar, you have, um, you know, you have all these sort of guys, some of them Irish, have ma- made their way over to Miami and settled and they have connections with the Colombians. You have also, the Colombians have sent their own representatives to Europe because they're eyeing up the market in Europe big time. You know, they've been flooding America for a long time, but they're kind of going growth. Let's look the other direction.
0: And so who were the first cocaine pioneers then, I suppose, in Ireland?
1: Well, ironically, one of the first uh, sort of cocaine cowboys, as we call them, was Eamon Kelly who was, of course, a paramilitary. He was part of the old provost. He was somebody who shouldn't have naturally gone to sort of drugs. But I think, again, that whole idea of cocaine being clean and it was only the rich who were going to take it and sure they were taking it anyway. And there was a nice little market there in the sort of the new clubs and pubs of Dublin. Um, and he attempted to sort of set up a route between Miami and Dublin and got caught. Yeah, I mean, it was... if you I think look, on his first go. Yeah,
0: and it was kind of... Uh, if you look at the scale, like we we you know i don't know what the final figure it was 167 million found in a in a specially hired container ship yeah. just recently but like the Eamon Kelly sting like it was small scale was it but it was the first
1: major yeah. cocaine haul in, in Ireland I suppose it's the it's the idea of he's making the connections he's, yeah. he's going out to Miami yeah. uh, there's an Irish guy out there who is actually ultimately sort of double jobbing for the DEA to trying to infiltrate the Escobar network and he's making that connection and while I suppose the first uh, flight and it was literally a, a, a Cuban woman who carried it on her body as she came into to Ireland. I mean, it was going to make him some money, but I suppose it was testing the route, wasn't it? Yeah. And had the route been successful, he probably would have made hundreds of millions rather than yeah. nothing as he did. But he ended up in jail. He was uh, very unlucky for, in many ways. And of course, he always insisted... He was had nothing to do with it. And and you can relate that back to the provost. They you know paramilitaries never wanted anything to do with drugs. Um, so he's one of the first ones. Then there's also a really interesting character called Brian Wright. We were talking about him there because you did one of your first stories
0: on him. Well, it was one of my yeah, it was one of my first ever crime stories anyway. Um like Brian Wright was um like he was Mr. Big in the UK wasn't he for cocaine?
1: Absolutely,
0: um, but he was born in Ireland. Um, and I, one of my first crime jobs, was sent down to pull his birth cert, Yeah, and um, to find out where he was actually born, because you can pull anybody's birth cert. Most some people would know, not everybody does. You can just go in and search through their name, and we had his uh, date of birth obviously because of the court records. So he was born actually in in batter right. in a, in a one of the old uh, you know terrace houses there. But he obviously ended up in the UK, I think, at an early age. Yeah,
1: I think about 12, he ended up in the UK in Kilburn. And the family, there was about eleven or twelve of them. They were brought up in grinding poverty. He somehow uh, becomes very hungry for money, um, gets involved in gambling, and is kind of like really, really wealthy all of a sudden. He's mixing with celebrities. Jim Davison, the comedian, is actually one of his best friends. And he's this kind of very um big and bold character um sort of very proud of his irish roots and all the rest of it but he's he's seen as a kind of professional gambler um now he does, certainly his wealth is causing suspicion. And when he gets a box and Ascot and starts inviting all these celebrity <laughs> friends at him, it's like, how the hell did he get so rich? He must have been so lucky uh, on the race course. But of course, he's actually uh, made a connection with a uh, Brazilian called Ronald Suárez, who's introduced him to the suppliers. And he has literally decided he's going to ship cocaine directly from Columbia across to Dover is his plan. And um, and he's kind of a prototype, isn't he, for these guys because these guys, Irish guys,
0: it's somebody who has the ambition to go over there and make a direct connection with the, yeah. the South American cartels and then comes up with a way to do their own logistical transport of that yes. cocaine because Brian Wright also did that, didn't he? He was probably a pioneer with hiring these yachts, wasn't it? And
1: Absolutely. And I mean, when you look at it, it's actually kind of simple. Yeah. When you think of the money, if yeah. you ha- if you had that ambition and that, you know, lack of moral compass, yeah. I suppose, um, you get an introduction. Yeah. You have the money, you come up with the money, whether he did or didn't come up with that through gambling, who knows, he could have borrowed it, whatever. Um, he's that kind of a character that you can imagine he would have got that first investment. Yeah. And then he uses a fleet of yachts to yeah. transport it across the sea. Landing it into Dover is the plan. But of course, that goes awry. Uh, in 96, the sea mist, a yacht is um hit some bad weather in the same kind of area that yeah. the most the, the the Matthew had had uh or of certainly the, the boat that was going to meet the Matthew had problems. Um but anyway, it ended up coming into harbour coming into Dock and in Cork and the crew acted suspiciously. They didn't raise their flag. Various reasons were given but the long and the short of it, the Gardie uh, got on the boat and found this ridiculous amount of cocaine, um, which at one point was valued at 500 million yeah. another point 40 million and I think by the time it came to court it was it was valued at around 50 million And um, but there was intelligence gathered from that boat um, which linked it to another sort of a kind of a, a, a another maybe six or seven yachts, which yeah. were all going back to Brian Wright. Yeah, and uh, they realised I think from the intelligence gathered here in Ireland because of the bad weather that Brian Wright was no more gambling to make yeah. his money. He was pulling in millions and millions and millions. Like at one point, he was it was estimated he was he was shifting three hundred million in cocaine a year into the UK. And like really, the number one, number dealer. one, absolutely. And called the milkman. Did you did you mention that? I did. I
0: because, do because I always remember that because he always yeah, delivers. He always delivers. Yeah.
1: yeah. <laughs> so Brian Wright is an interesting character, and he's there. And also, I think it's interesting because of the that early, you know, use of the yachts to yeah. transport it. It's, it seems really obvious. It is a straight line. Yeah. You know, you either hit the coast of Ireland, England, or Spain, yeah. and you can. Um, You can find all these people out there working in the yacht charter industry, which is, you know, it it has good times and bad. Um, You've probably risk takers working in that business and they've been offered huge amounts of money to transport the drugs. Of course, the ones who are caught and who are left at the hands on are the ones who end up in court. Brian Wright wasn't caught when the sea mist was caught, but I think what happened in the aftermath of it, the trials. Um, only one of them pleaded guilty. Actually, the others got off. But it gave us a window into the kind of people that were being used to ship the cocaine back in those days. And I don't think much has changed.
0: No, I mean, it, the only thing that's changed is funny in the book where they're talking about uh Buying extra binoculars for the guardie to keep an eye on the, the coast funny, of the coast it? of West
1: Cork. Um, I mean, they're standing in the doll in the early nineties, yeah. and they're kind of more concerned about cannabis, really. Yeah. When they don't have a clue what's coming at them with the cocaine. Yeah. And they're getting a bit concerned. Uh, you know, there is some cocaine has been found as well. I think in 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 Ross Carbery, uh, some of the bales of cocaine wash up on the beach and this kind of thing. And they're saying like, you know, Ireland is we've got so much coastline, of course. Yeah. And the TDs are calling for, you know, have we enough police? And and there's something like. I mean is there 17 police working out of cork yeah, yeah. at I the can't time and the what drug it is, squad yeah. and maybe yeah. a, another handful in dublin i mean we don't really have a handle on this at all no and i think that happened across europe yeah you know and at the same time europe's borders were coming down which was making it easier for the drug dealers to transport so there's all these sort of parallel things happening um but yeah i mean the the they they look they go you know we need to get better equipped our our lighthouses are no longer manned we need to get binoculars really high tech binoculars for our coast guards and the idea the quaintness of that the thought that you could fight uh, with
0: an extra few pairs of binoculars binoculars. yeah and of course because you could no more fight that because it became such a the financial incentives for for drug dealers just become so big so if you move on then I suppose one of the other bits that you first see maybe the more corporate aspects of drug dealing uh, or cocaine dealing are what's called the Cork Mafia and their ties mm. with George the Penguin Mitchell um, who remains to this day somebody who's shipping in huge amounts of cocaine into Europe. I mean, they 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 became one of the real first organised
1: uh, importers. Certainly, yeah. Certainly they did. And they're they're making a lot of money. They're based in Cork. Um, they are one of the first gangs to disperse after 96. Yeah. What happens is 96, you have this kind of cocaine is rumbling in, people are starting to make a lot of money. A lot of people are eyeing it up. Um, younger guys are moving into are wanting a little piece of the action. Um, and they bring with them, I think, a darkness that comes very quickly. And it all of a sudden yeah. isn't these kind of swashbuckling gamblers yeah. are involved but uh, the Cork Mafia are one of the first to disperse after the, the establishment of the Criminal Assets Bureau. Yeah, They go to Europe very quickly Yeah, where many of them remain yeah. as big wholesalers. Yeah, You know that legislation was brought in and it meant that the you know the Irish state could pick through a lot of assets owned by some of them foreign criminals who are here others being the likes of the Cork Mafia and others that were established. But ultimately, it sent them on a career trajectory. It's yeah. a little bit like, you know, if you were plodding along doing okay and something happened that you had to make a leap. We yeah. don't really like change, do we? But, no. you know, you make oh, a look, leap it's and like all they, of a sudden your career takes off. Yeah, up. it's
0: like they, they all of a sudden signed for the Premier League after That's being League of Ireland. So you had a few people affected by that, like including Bomber Kavanagh. Yeah. And you had... um. Christy Kinnahan, like it's interesting. Actually, Brian Wright, uh, you know, he became one of the things that he became heavily involved in is the horse racing industry and mm. caused a huge scandal there because it was clear he was paying jockeys for information, uh, seemed to have inside knowledge, uh, suggestions that you know he people were throwing races, and into that mix, then in that world because. Like, whether he was making, he presumably was making most of his money from cocaine, but he still couldn't help getting involved in the horse racing industry, probably for the social act. But once he's in there, he just can't help himself trying to fix a bit of racing.
1: And it was quite interesting because when I was researching for the book, I was talking to somebody in the horse racing industry and it had never struck me. It's pretty obvious, actually, but it's ideal to fix races because you can make sure a horse loses. Yeah, yeah. Right, you can absolutely make yeah, sure the horses. Yeah. You can pull them back. You can do whatever they do. Yeah. You know, if they dope them or whatever, um, and that way you're guaranteed, yeah, to be able to wash your money, yeah, or to be able to win money or whatever, yeah. You can, you, you know it's it, and he was running a bet to lose scam, yeah. Brian Wright all the while. Now he eventually his operation, the Wright organization, was eventually dismantled after yeah. much investigation by the 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 British police and customs. He escaped actually to Cyprus for a long time and ended up back in court in the UK. And while accused of sort of running the right empire, this massive big cocaine industry, um, he was actually not bothered about that in court. He was more bothered that he was accused of race fixing. Yeah, yeah, he found that. He really found that offensive. Yes. He was sort of this gentleman of the turf or somebody who saw himself as that. Yeah. But I suppose the point of it all is that you're looking at horse racing and obviously horse racing exists on this trust basis because the punters come to the race course because they believe that they have a chance of that horse they pick winning. Yeah. I mean, the idea that there's fixing going on in the background, that jockeys are pulling horses or anything like that, it makes the industry null and void. It does for the for the for the ordinary punter who takes their chance, and puts their fifty quid on
0: something. Yeah. you know, they need to know that they're and that's the lifeblood of that industry. That is the lifeblood, and into that mix of horse uh, racing comes in the Kinnehan cartel I mean this is what what year is that I mean that's over 20 years ago anyway isn't it So
1: that was certainly over 20 years ago but I suppose it took a long time for horse racing to tackle what had happened in it so while the right organisation was dismantled by the cops in the background the horse racing the British horse racing industry was still struggling with what happened and it took investigators to come in and their own investigators to come in and kind of like there was trials and, and some of the jockeys had to give evidence and Some of them were banned, some of them appealed those bans, etc, etc. So it eventually sort of washed its dirt out around sort of the early 2000s. And there was some sort of a report at the time and British Horse Racing were sort of saying, you know, hopefully... You know, at least the next are sort it's of the turned a corner type of turned a corner, and there yeah. won't be any more of this cocaine or anything yeah, yeah, involved yeah. in it. And of course, the next big individuals to come in to be yeah. accused of the same thing are these two called Morris Signs and James Crickmore. Unknown to us at the time, maybe, but they were big. They owned big caravan parks, and they had also been discovered to be doing this this fixing races, and yeah. um, they're accused of that. And that's when, sorry, the report states, you know, well, you know, this is another big scandal for for British horse racing. But at least this isn't cocaine money. Yeah. And of course, you you move then, yeah, to 2016 when David Byrne is killed at the Regency Hotel, and you know there's surveillance on the Byrne household, yeah, where, where the wake is happening, and the big man from England, Thomas Bomber Kavanaugh, who is the new Brian Wright, he's yeah. the big cocaine you know, cowboy uh, in the UK. He's the head of the Kinnahan organization there. He comes along to pay his respects to his dead brother-in-law and his his parents-in-law because he's married into the family. And with him are these two men, Morris Sines and James Crickmore, yeah. who had been trying to fix races some time previous, you know. And Christie himself sent his son in, Daniel Kinnahan, in to see what could be sort of taken, I suppose, from horse racing. Yeah, and... At that point then,
0: when when you have people like Bomber Kavanaugh and and, and Christie I mean they're very different, aren't they, than than the cocaine cowboys, if you want. I mean, a lot of what they're doing is backed up with a huge level of of violence, really, isn't it? Mm. Like
1: Yeah, it is. I mean, I think really, when you look back, I think at the turn of the century so you know you come through the 90s and really by 2000 and the late 90s the amount of money to be made from cocaine the markup of it because it's there is no other product in the world yeah that by the time it lands in Europe is has has multiplied by hundreds of times in its value um i think there's so many people eyeing up that looking at that it goes very dark very violent very quickly so yeah. you have the likes of um, Bomber Kavanaugh, Christy Kinahan and others who are at the very top of their game and in order to stay there the violence that they have to project down the lines the fear Yeah. Um, I'm not making excuses for it but I think when you're dealing with young guys I mean take for example the Westies in Blanchardstown they yeah. were only 18 yeah. I think when they took out a major drug dealer they took over that Blanchardstown patch they were so ambitious they were swinging people from the towers in Ballymun because they owed them 50 quid debt. They were burning people with cigarettes. They were using vice grips on them. They were this new breed, this really dangerous, volatile characters that were taking their product themselves along with steroids. I mean, plenty of people take cocaine and don't do the kind of stuff that they did. But this sort of, these young guys are coming in and I think to be controlled. Yeah in a way, again, everything's happening, that the violence at the top has to be and, increased.
0: And you have to remember, like, all of the guns that came into Ireland in the 2000s, I mean, most of them are coming from the Kenyan cartel as well. So people only really focus on on the cocaine, obviously, and the other drugs. But they were the major drug importers into this country. And if you look at the, the, the gangs that were associated with them, like the Dundon-McCartys, which were directly associated with yeah. the Kinahans, or um, the the, the Crumlin drimna feud. I mean, they were all guys who are hitting 30 years old, who had an incredible access to weapons. Yeah, And I mean, the, the, those two gangs fought wars that cost. I mean, I think at one point you're describing those early 2000s, early to mid 2000s, we had 20, over 20 murders, gun murders, on as a regular basis each yeah. year.
1: Yeah, and every so often something would happen, it would spill into, you know, these gun murders would spill into kind of middle-class areas yeah. and yeah. it would be outrage and yeah. be brought up in the it part of the Kremlin-Drimner feud, there was three murders within 48 hours at one point and that did become, you know, a topic of conversation the opposition, of course, are you know pushing the the government, saying that they're this country's going out of control. That you know the you know they have to, somebody has to get a handle on gangland. They have to do this. They have to do that. All the while in the background, you know you have this growing, you know, demand, yeah, for cocaine, yeah, which is coming from the people, coming from you know poly drug users they watch cocaine the kind of the medical end of this they're watching cocaine and it they see it going from a really high class drug mm. sort of at the in the in the beginnings of the 90s and the 80s to starting to move into normal society into normal middle class society and it's it's crossing every boundary yeah it's it's being used in working class areas it's the the one drug i think that does that um and then you have these weekend users yeah. who, who are doubling the profits for the you know the cocaine dealers are making a fortune during the week anyway and then they have this big huge boom yeah, in, in profits at the weekend I mean
0: actually your book opens up with uh, it's a court case involving a teenager I think he's 17 is he yeah. in Galway and he's caught which I can't remember the exact amount well, but it's
1: like 60 grand worth of cocaine 60
0: grams worth of cocaine and um, you know he's obviously dealing it to people in that local area and it's kind of like no big deal is yeah. really but you know that would have been inconceivable wouldn't it at some point 20 years ago maybe Absolutely. or so I mean Absolutely. that would have been national news that amount of drugs at all but now it just becomes a sidebar does it on, on Yeah a,
1: and like I mean people still sort of are you know saying you know you often hear headlines cocaine is in every rural yeah, public yeah. Pub in Ireland yes it is and it has been for quite a while mm. Um, the availability of it, the demand for it, uh, the money that we have as a society. Because Ireland's very rich, yeah. Europe's a very rich place and has all this disposable income that it's using on fun, yeah. Um, you have Professor Doctors Colin O'Gara, yeah. who I spoke to up in the John of Gods, and he's suggesting that this, like this, you know, our 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 love of cocaine shall we say is almost in our dna yeah well i mean we like having fun we like chatting we life is stressful we are yeah i mean it's a complicated to, it's a complicated
0: debate actually but i mean irish people have had high rates of alcoholism yeah. historically and and then even irish immigrants who've gone to other societies have retained that high rate but not only are we the highest consumers but we also became as a nation, I think there's a funny interview it, with Sandra Vaughan. I don't know if you remember this, where she said we should be really proud of Daniel Kinnan. Yeah. He's come from a really normal working class, and he's he's made he's become a world star. And, and she meant in the boxing. She meant in the boxing, right? And that's what she did yeah. mean.
1: And that's why we found it amusing. Yeah. Like, oh. however, you know,
0: if if you were if 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 you were to be a totally amoral person, you would say. Like, he did become a major player in the world. Like, how did that happen? How did those guys who in, in around the 2000s were teenagers hanging around Oliver Bond causing hassle, how did they become in the space of two decades one of the, the biggest producing cocaine gangs in the world?
1: Like it's extraordinary. I mean, Ireland is definitely punching above its weight as a small little nation on the international stage when you think that our Kinnaghan cartel are, you know, the subject of sanctions in the US. Um, How it happened, listen, it's complex how it happened. But ultimately, I suppose the, it was a gold rush. Yeah. They were very perfectly placed because he had Christy Kinahan at the top of the organisation and he's already made the connections. Yeah. By 2000, by the late 90s, he's based out in Amsterdam. He's travelling between Amsterdam and Spain. He has his sons coming of age along with all their sort of friends and compatriots from various parts. of Soldiers, the, basically. Soldiers. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Ab- absolutely. And he brings them out and he sets them up in Spain and they start running the operation. And they actually initially started making big books out of uh, cannabis. Yeah. They made connections with Morocco, uh, with Moroccan dealers. And they were shipping it over and collecting it on the beaches of um, down the coast. And if from you saw Top Boy, did you, you didn't watch yeah, Top been Boy. Yeah, i watching it,
0: yeah. And you see that they're actually doing that. Yeah where the Moroccans landed on the beach and the guys rush out, grab it in, put it in in jeeps and sped off. And that's how they started. That's how they started. Yeah.
1: And of course, what you have again is, you know, look, whatever. Mm. You have Curtis Warren, who was there and was a big, major, you know, player. And he goes to jail and Christy Kinahan is perfectly placed to sort of step into his shoes they're supplying the uk market they're supplying the irish market they're becoming wholesalers they're offering a kind of a money laundering service i think that offer of that money laundering service that we got a little bit of a glimpse at in 2010 that really brought them to a, a top table because you have to keep being ambitious yeah and i mean we could see even you know around the time of the sanctions and just before that, Christy Kinnahan, his ambitions, yeah, his ambitions are never ending. Yeah, they're limitless. Like. Limitless. And, I and, mean, he wants to take over the route yeah. of the cocaine, which is the most really important part mm. of the trade. Yeah, um, You know, second most important thing to the transport routes yeah. are second most important to the production of it. Yeah. Um, and he is making inroads in taking over that African corridor.
0: Yeah. And becoming like uh, effectively independent once he just gets the cocaine from the from the jungles and from whoever supplies it. I mean, and
1: he's moving to Zimbabwe, isn't yeah. he? And and he's going to relocate and reinvent himself there. And I mean, I don't think we can underestimate. We talk a lot about Daniel Kinnahan mm. these days because he's the guy who who really put himself out there. Yeah. He's the guy who sort of was in the background fixing fights for Tyson Fury and became this sort of celebrity sort of gangster in the boxing world and all the rest of it. But he was gifted a lot yeah. through his parentage. Yeah. And I mean by his father, not his mother, yeah. because she was not involved in criminality. His mother, Jean Boylan, she actually came home to die in Oliver Bond in, in the flat, the council flat she had. And But his father had laid a lot of groundwork mm. for him and his young guys you know what I mean the young guys he brought from Dublin out to Spain and they started making millions and and like listen they started making the money with the cannabis when the cocaine came in yeah I mean we were told in 2010 that that organization was worth 100 million right by the time the 10 years later yeah the US come in to sanction them they're worth a billion yeah and that's after they're supposedly being dismantled
0: yeah and I mean they're they're, they of course you know they've they've like a lot of these uh, major gangland figures, they move from their hometown, they end up in Amsterdam at some point, Spain, and then they end up in Dubai. Mm. And everybody is in Dubai at a certain level. Yeah. Aren't they? And that's really how they, they come together in this super cartel, which, which, we've written about yeah
1: like who who are all these people And well they do and I, I always think the most interesting moment the scene I mean if you were creating a drama around this you'd be talking in scenes and one of those scenes would be the wedding of Daniel Kinahan and the Burj al-Arab because that's where they're all together um, Rido and Taji from the Moroccan the Dutch Moroccan outfit Raphael Imperiale from Italy Elrico. Uh, Enrico from Chile and you have uh, Eden Gasselin from the Balkans yeah. and they had all come together with Daniel Kinnan, and he was the brains of the operation apparently the formation of the European super cartel which was really just everyone bringing their specialist uh, be it money laundering be it transport routes whatever to the table coming together cutting out some middlemen and just helping one another out and and, and sharing the profits setting the price of course in Europe um, but at that wedding of course was an unwanted guest the DEA yeah you watching on and it's an incredible scene. I remember when we found, eventually found the one yeah. photograph that exists from inside yeah. that wedding and it's up the cake. Yeah. Um, and, you know, it's so opulent.
0: Oh, I mean, like it's in, it's in that hotel. I mean, you can't, you can't even imagine how much the whole thing cost. No. And I mean, I remember as well, then we had a video, didn't we, of, of um, Daniel Kinnan then in, was it Kazakhstan? At a at a, yes. a charity auction, yeah. spending a hundred thousand on a football football. Yeah, so I mean that's that level of disposable income. Yeah,
1: and, and that's where I think they start disconnecting from reality. And of course, you would if you're living in that. Yeah. But you know, it's interesting for me that wedding because it's it's bigger than just you know the the opulence and spend yeah. at it. Everybody's there. Yeah, Johnny Morris is there, who yeah. we, we first discover in Kinsale in the early nineteen nineties, living down there. You know, under the auspices of being a businessman, when really the Gardies suspect that he's actually going out and meet, meet, meeting Russian ships who are delivering cocaine to him. Yeah. Um, you have all these various characters who have been sort of milling around the whole cocaine yeah. ether. And they're all there together yeah. at that wedding. They're all there. And they're all back together as such. And feeling a bit untouchable, that yeah, has to be said. Yeah, for sure. However, what is it, six years on? Yeah. They're not untouchable, are they? They're not untouchable. I mean, they're still, I mean, there's still an, an open-ended investigation going on into the Kinnahan organization. We know that the file here is with the DPP that we are going to be asking the Emirates to hand back Christie, Christopher Jr. and Daniel. Um, listen, they're not going to beat yeah. the state and they're not going to beat the Americans and everybody else who's after them. That's, the only guarantee yeah. we have in all of it. They are not going to come out of this winners. Yeah, But of course, the inevitable is there's all these other people to take over from them who will take over from them. The next Daniel Kinahan has probably been born as we speak. Yeah, um, But I think we were talking about those sort of other wider issues that go around it because of course there'll always be somebody to replace them. Of course the war on drugs is unwinnable. Yeah. But what I suppose we talk about all the time is how the corruption... That sort of emanates out of it, yeah, is 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 constantly filtering and threatening society and communities. I just watched uh, Get Gotti on
0: on yeah. Netflix. I don't I mean, know if you saw it. it, right? Yeah, yeah, it's so it's really interesting. Um, like obviously, crime in America hasn't stopped. Yeah, but this is about John Gotti, who who came to I mean, he was eventually he was the head of the Gambino family, America's biggest organized crime group. They eventually dismantled it, but you can see how they managed to corrupt every aspect of New York society Absolutely. at that stage. Yeah. Um, now, the Kinnehan's maybe didn't do that to Irish society to the extent that extent, but they did do it to boxing, didn't they?
1: And I think you could safely say they're doing it in the Gulf. Yeah, yeah. I mean, they're doing it. They are being protected out there. They are friends with politicians. They are in f- friends with all sorts of high society. They are getting a protection there. Yeah. I don't think that protection is never ending. No. I think it will come to its end. But yes, they've done it in boxing. Yeah. We looked, we talked briefly there about horse racing. There's fears for football. Um, The Dutch Morocco or Moroccan gangs have done it to society over there, I think it's fair to say. They have threatened certainly all aspects of society, the judiciary. I mean, you know, another aspect I I look at in the book is these big hacks, these phone hacks and what. Kind of was discovered in them, and of course, the biggest thing, really, the biggest eye opener, I think, for Europe that was discovered in them was the corruption of port uh, workers, of of people involved, yeah, low level in, in, government officials, exactly, and, and police, and everybody, and and that corruption is is like a cancer; it's seeping in constantly. Yeah. And I suppose cocaine brought that and the money with, with a tidal wave. You know. Okay, so I'll ask you a couple because you always
0: throw me with one Enjoy. unexpected question oh no so what do you in 20 years time oh cheap when you're writing your next yeah. your next book what do you think the situation is going to be are we going to be able to go down to the local shop and buy a gram of legal safe cocaine are we going to have a crime-free society as the, the, the war on drugs is won in 2032? In um, are everybody going to be addicted to cocaine? Nobody ever takes in it again? Do you have any thoughts? No. How we could all go? And I know.
1: I'll be writing my next book in a year. Not 20, but um, I suppose looking into the future uh, and it's, it's always really difficult to do that. Of course, because if you look back
0: at when we're talking yeah. in those 90s, you wouldn't have... Predicted. No. no. Predicted this.
1: No. But I think there's another while in the cocaine and the growth and the demand yeah. and the supply. And yeah. I think it's like a balloon that has been blown up and it's not quite ready to burst yet. There's still a little bit of movement there. Yeah. But I think if we're looking to the future, what we should be really concerned about yeah. is what's coming next. Yeah. And that has to be fentanyl if yeah. we look at what's happening in the US, because everything that happens there ultimately happens here yeah i mean even when you know i take cocaine as a subject uh, as a topic and and you can see we are a good europe is about 10 years behind yeah states yeah in, in the sort of you know the drug use yeah. and the types of drugs these a lot of synthetic drugs i think the chinese are very much developing components that go to make fentanyl it's probably easier to transport it's probably easier to make outside yeah. You know and 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 therefore do you need transport can you make it in Yeah, I mean this is it this is it. in factories and a lot of these things
0: will somebody be able to synthesize a cocaine like drug?
1: Of course they will. Yeah. Of course they will and and while we're chasing constantly the transport routes now we're going to be chasing the factories, the yeah. underground establishments where it's being made, you know, here. Uh, and yes, I think they are definitely going to be able to synthesize cocaine and it probably will be a boring old drug you know yeah. back you know for the oldies
0: and what about the demand in society like is is do you think people are going to rethink that or you know we have public health on cigarettes that maybe yeah. brought down smoking though we've then vapes pop up of course i know
1: yeah i mean there are certain things that you can you can tackle with some marketing um I think that the more information people get, and I think, you know, I don't know, do people grow up? I mean, you, people grow. The generation coming behind now that that will be, you know, looking for something else. Underlying issues are so complex. The yeah. use of drugs, why people use drugs, and I think, in a way. Dr. Colin O'Gara is right. I think we need to, I think life is so stressful for all of us that it's, it's kind of handy to have something that'll help you relax and whether that be a glass of wine, you know, a gin and tonic, line of cocaine, weed, whatever it is, people are going to go for that. And life is just very, very stressful. So there's all these underlying issues that we'd need to tackle. And also people take drugs because of traumas and, and, you know. hundred percent. And I mean, why do people get
0: involved in in drug dealing? And mostly it's young men in
1: pretty hopeless situations. The drug dealing, I mean, I think that is terrifying for people living in communities. I think that's got so much worse. I think certain... um, aspects of communities have been completely broken down because of cocaine. Yeah. You know, and... Um, I think as well, in in my time working in the Sunday world, you're
0: seeing it seeper and younger and younger. It is. And that that's really scary. And people
1: have, always ask you, you know, oh, has it got more violent? And you kind of go, well, it was always violent. But actually, when you look at Drahada,
0: Yeah. And when you look at... Even Finglas that we were talking yes, about in, in terms of that flashy
1: feud. Absolutely. And that whole idea even of everyone's game now yeah. you know what I mean it's not just that old school thing of man to man combat yeah. and yeah. They stay away from the families and all yeah. no 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 the families are game the sisters the partners the mothers everybody is game and they don't give a shit yeah you know and of course you've that coupled with the, the amount of firearms in the country so you know it's not a bright future no <laughs> um well, look, it'll be different than what we think. I mean, that's yeah. that's
0: always the way. It's very hard to predict, but uh, what drives it is is is
1: is not going away. Yeah. And well, apart from the book being out, okay. as I mentioned at the beginning of it, we are going on the road with Cocaine Cowboys. We're back on the road with Crime World and uh, a live show, which is well, going tell, to be... Do we have the dates? Well, we have the dates. Do I have the dates? February. Anyway, we're going to be in Limerick in uh, Cork and... Dublin yeah. the Olympia yeah and i think we're going to do a second round in april when we are going to killarney which yeah. we cancelled the last time okay. uh, because we had taken too much on we're going to killarney we're going to galway and we're going to belfast yeah uh, and we might possibly depending on how we get on do another gig in Dublin
0: yeah so, and we don't even know how, it's exciting it's it, it, going to be really exciting yeah and you know I like this seat maybe was, could be my seat no, in the future tough.
1: no you're back out of that
0: I got you in the yeah. end alright one awkward question well
1: thank you thank well actually
0: Nicola actually Nicola it's yeah. it's up to me to end the
1: show oh sorry <laughs> <laughs> so thank you very much Nicola thank you were you, a Ronald wonderful Donald. you were a wonderful guest I noticed I didn't get any coffee <laughs> yeah I always get you coffee and a there bun on a Friday <laughs> All right. So thank you very much Nicola You did okay Thank you Mr. Donalds. <laughs> You've been listening to Crime World A podcast from Sundayworld.com Produced by Ian Mullaney And edited by me Nicola Talent Research assistant is Clodamini If you like this show and love true crime Leave us a review or why not Download the free Sundayworld.com app For lots more stories from Ireland And across the globe